Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 73 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 8, Chapter 4, Rapture. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Well, we do thank you for being here this morning as we uh, jump back into God's Word here and try to pick up where we kind of left off. I, uh, we got into last time, uh, week before last, a lot of what's happening in the United Nations uh, with world events and things, and we covered a little bit of that, how it got into our system of government here. And uh, so as we continue to move forward, we're going into chapter four, actually, of the Revelation. We've done the seven churches. And I'll, as you can see, my little, as we pick up there, right after the seven churches, uh, chapter four, uh, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that, that uh, it says, read me, I am special. <laughs> it is kind of interesting. Uh, it's in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Blessed is uh, he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So he shows us and tells us that we are blessed just to read and to study uh, the book of Revelation. Just so happens as Christians we tend to to skirt away from the book of Revelation. It is seen as a, um, a controversial book, but also as a book that's hard to understand. And I, in one sense of the word it is, and in another sense of the word it's not. Now, as I'm trying to get us up to the four horsemen, and we've left the seven, uh, well, you don't really leave the seven churches, but we've left that teaching. But as, I, as to bridge between the seven churches and the four horsemen, of course, we're going to have to go through two chapters quickly to get there. But I was showing last week in this four horsemen leading up to the four horsemen, and the week before last was the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of this world, and the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to reteach that. But those, those are three type kingdoms that we see. And these three kingdoms are constantly uh, in a clash, if you will. And so what is it, what's the confusion that we feel uh, living on planet Earth? It is the colliding of these three kingdoms uh, in a, uh, it's, it, we just have to call it what it is, it's war. It's a type of war, that's how we identify with it. Um, now, you know how I've taught you this. we got the four main groups of sevens, I call them, to refresh your memory. The seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials of the wrath of God. And on the top seven churches, we believe that we are in the Laodicean age. Does that mean that the Ephesus and Smyrna, and does that mean that these church ages aren't uh, happening today? Because we're in Laodicea, no, it does not. Now, one thing we've got to understand about Scripture is when, when God says something, it just is. You know, and then it, it just uh, some people where uh, dispensational teaching gets a bad rap is there were some teachers that said God's doing this now, but now He's not doing this. 
Well, it just so happens that's the biggest hiccup in dispensational type teaching is when you say God's not. Well, if God said, it just is. If you're with me, God does God. When he speaks, he's thought it through. So he doesn't have to say, uh-oh, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to change my mind. God is, he is so uh, incredible when he says something, it weaves into his total plan of redemption. And so it's in, in light of that that we believe as a church. Do we believe in the gifts of the Spirit? The answer is yes. Do we believe in healing? The answer is yes. Uh, we, because it's already been uh, dispensed to the earth and God has said it, then it is. It's just like there's light. God said, let there be light. Well, guess what? There's light. And the, but there's a, a very good hermeneutic and understanding when God says something, it is. And so therefore, somehow you've got to make it work into your theology because God has said it. And uh, but that is that little bit has helped me more uh, than anything. So I also pointed out uh, that we have what's called a parenthetical pause or a parenthesis, as we're taught in in school. There's a parenthetical uh, pause, we call it, right before the Laodicea church. I mean, right before the angels of, of the seals and right before the trumpets and right before the seven vials of the wrath of God. I've taught you that the seven seals happens. You see, the, the Laodicea church age is, let's say we are the Laodicea church age. It's not hard to see that. But also, since God said it, the previous churches are also in this age because God, God has said it. So seven includes one, but one doesn't include seven. You all have heard me teach prophetically like that. Three includes one and two. One and two doesn't include three. So seven includes the previous uh, churches. So the Laodicean church age... There's going to be professing Christians we know in the tribulation period. Well, who are these professing? You, you have, and I've taught you, you have what we call Christendom, and we have Christians. Uh, and, and as we get towards the end here, we start understanding that the uh, Christians, as Christians today, we should have a more fine-tuned definition of what being a Christian is, or a child of God, or being born again. Our definition of that should be sharpening. And uh, so as we're sharpening our pencil of that definition, I want to ask you a question. Does Satan believe in Jesus? Of course he does. You better believe he does. Well, I thought that's all you had to do to be saved. Now, I'm not saying Satan saved, but I am saying just because you say you believe in Jesus, that's not proof you're saved. Now, that'll shake some people a little bit, but there's a fine tuning we're supposed to have in this age versus uh, some of the other ages. And it's in the scriptures, too, that, you know, even we know the demons tremble. So we know they believe in Christ. So there's a difference than believing in and trusting in. That's good. Come on. There's, there's a huge difference. You can believe something but not trust in it. Come on. Right? 
So the trusting act is the spiritual denomination, if you will, what causes things of the spiritual world to break into the natural world. It's the trust factor. Now, I will say that to you have to believe before you can trust. But just to believe doesn't get the job done. We have to step over into the trusting. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So therefore, faith is, like I've referred to before, the Indiana Jones uh, movie when he stepped out over the big uh, chasm, the big gulf there. He, he had to step, and then all of a sudden there would be a bridge appear. Y'all remember that if you like those movies. Uh, when he stepped out, all of a sudden then there was an unseen bridge there. But he would put one foot on the, shore, on, the, on the land and another one out there over nothing, and it wouldn't show up. It wasn't until he put his full weight to where he would have been doomed that the bridge actually appeared. So is, and that is an allusion, if you will, to, to what is faith. Faith is not putting partial trust. That's not faith. Faith is full trust. You're going for broke. If, 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 he, if he's not there, guess what? I'm going down. That's, that's what faith is. And there's no way you can operate in faith and not look a little ridiculous. It can't happen. Because when you totally step out, Indiana Jones, when he stepped out, he had to leave reason. He had every reason to stay where he was. He had every reason. He had to go against his own reasoning to step out in faith. Now, I know a lot of people like to bring reasoning along to produce faith, but it's not going to work. You'll have to leave it sooner or later to walk in true faith. And a lot of people think they're walking in faith when they're walking in reasoning and they believe. Right? And it's so we have to start making distinctions as we walk forward and just believing or believing and trusting and then believing and trusting to a point we've put our full weight in our trust in Christ. Now this is what happens with the churches. You've got some uh, Christians, if you will, in the Laodicean church in this church age that they believe in Christ, but they haven't trusted in Christ. And so therefore they will still be here after the rapture of the church and go through tribulation. And people say, well, Alan, I can see the church in seven years tribulation. I can too. And it's people that have not been called away. Now, I don't, uh, I'm not trying to persuade you of the pre-tribulation rapture. But I will give you the reasoning I believe through Scripture that it is a pre-tribulation rapture. I'm going to share just a little bit of that this morning. Now, you test it because I've never said that I can't be wrong. I've never said that. Uh, even though everybody else needs to learn a thing or two. No, I'm just kidding. So, here, here we... You got to understand, uh, there's, you know, we have, I was speaking with my sister Susan, she's here with me this morning from, from Georgia, and uh, so if I teach anything incorrect, she's taught me everything I know since she's my older sister. <laughs> so we'll blame it on her. <laughs> Uh, but as, we're, as we look 
in, as we've discussed uh, prophecy, and I, I consider myself, I guess you can say, I don't know if others do, but I consider myself to be part of the prophetic movement. And, uh, but I'm not so sure the prophetic movement would say I was part of them. But we have prophecy, and to me we have prophecy. And I want to get into that. Let me move on quickly. All right, we're going to start here. I am going to start chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to start it. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So we, hear, we see here there's a door. There's a door that opens. We have John start speaking about looking up to heaven. There's this door. Now, I don't want you to see it just, we are seeing that John's seeing a door, but I would love for you to consider that you also might can see a door. All right? Now, now John, John's, his writings are incredible because you get into, you know, first, second John and, and, and those little short books of John, and he has incredible revelation as much as he does in the book of Revelation as he's bringing together all that's happened uh, for 60 years in Christianity to that point when you get in John's short books. He, he wrote those 85 to 90 A.D. also. Uh, whether on the Isle of Patmos or not, I don't know. But if not, it was right before uh, that time. So he was he is bringing great revelation together in his short books, and I'll even refer to that. So we start off, he says, after these things I looked up. And so he says, after what things? He, he saw chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 1, he got the revelation of Jesus. You remember that. Wow, there he is. Then chapters 2 and 3, he goes into seven churches. And then we saw it the seven church ages, but it's actually seven churches. And uh, so then he talks about that. Then he gets up to, uh, we know that that covers the seven churches prophetically covers a span of time now so far it's been for 2,000 years and then he says and these things I looked up and behold a door standing open before me in heaven so we know that a door opened up to John but now consider something we're going to learn from John John saw a door uh, prophetically scriptures are what we call like an illusion illusion means that you got a kind of a type or a picture it's an illusion you're alluding to something. So he's alluding to something, and to us we could even say it's an illusion, but this is more than a, a vision. To John, when he looks in there, all of a sudden these things are, he looks into heaven. Heaven, let me say it like this, heaven is more real than you sitting here now. And it is. This, this is, if you want a, 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 a digital reality, we're probably in it now. The biggie, the real tangible things that you can touch, literally, is heaven. And you can see that as you get into the book of Revelation. Of course, it's got a lot of pictures and types and things. But you got to see it from John's viewpoint. The door open, John goes up there, then he's all of a sudden in heaven looking. He is seeing. And I would love for you to consider that, uh, to say it like this, it's not really capturing what I'd like to say. Heaven is more real than here's real, even though we're very attached to here. But heaven's more real. So actually, heaven should be easier to see than here. 
because it's the more real. It's eternal. Now God's going to bring what's eternal to the earth, but the fullness of that eternal to the earth is not here yet. We have been given to the earth as an earnest payment to the earth by the Holy Spirit in us to speak forth the king is coming and the great reality is going to invade planet earth. That's our job. And he wants us to capture all the citizens that are here that we can to, to be participants in this great project that God has and bringing that that's greatly eternal into this earth. I know when I was, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I had uh, uh, cancer in my lungs and I was uh, had three to six months to live. My sister can give testimony to this. And uh, uh, then I had a period or a week or 10 days, and I've told you this before, but I remind you so to make a point here that I had several days there that I was in, in the spirit in such a way and when you know that you're dying and living, leaving here, it captures your attention. You're not concerned about a lot of other things. So really and truly, uh, you know, just to stay alive and eat three times a day is a distraction to spiritual things. And so, but when you're not really distracted and your tomorrows have now been given a, de a deadline and a date, then all of a sudden you have a lot of time. And you can be caught in the spirit in this day and time. But every, everything's distracting us, even good things, even necessary things, but they're still all a distraction unto the spiritual world that's here. So what happened to me was the blues got blue, the greens got green, I went out on the porch and the grass. All of a sudden, the, the, the colors were so bright, it's like I needed glasses. All right, I got healed and... Then as the further I got healed, the further away I got from that point, the more pastel everything got. So I'm standing before you here today, and, every, and I know the comparison. Everything looks pastel to me. We got colors, but they're not vibrant. These colors were so vibrant, they were like they were alive. And so I know there's an eternal dimension here that it's here but I'm begging you not to come to conclusions of the spiritual world and not even God based on what you're seeing. I beg you, don't do that. There is more right here at us. And it's, it's, we can just about touch it. So, John, he was in that state. He was in that place on the Isle of Patmos. There's a, and my point there was that he, his, the world around him was shut down till he was imprisoned. So, I mean, he'd done a, a good job in being called up to this door, but I mean, it's, it's not like he had anything else to do either. So we're not going to give him too much credit here. But So he was called up knowing that his key element was he was focused on God. And so we see here that this door was open. Now, the seven churches, the church is never mentioned again until the final chapter of the book of Revelation. So there's some of us would put uh, the rapture of the church somewhere in around the chapter four, verse one area. And because so do what do I think is the next thing? So, so we go into chapter four. The church is not mentioned again until the end. 
And so once you start seeing that, well, who is mentioned? Well, we start seeing who is mentioned and those type things. And we know how, how the application is to come about. Now let me move on quickly here. All right, here we go. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee uh, things which must be hereafter. So we had chapters 1, 2, and 3. Those are the things that, that were. Well, he had things that were, and then he had things that are now. Now he's saying things which come hereafter. So you've got to understand, as you start seeing in the hereafter, and as the hereafter starts playing out, the things that were and are is still in effect. Probably a little confusing, but I'll bring more definition. Now, in Revelation 1.19, this is the Scripture, and if you, if you like to study the book of Revelation, be sure and write this one down. This is the Scripture that shows you how to, as the Apostle Paul said, to rightly divide the word of truth. We have to rightly divide the book of Revelation, and it has three divisions here. It says, write the things which thou hast seen, past tense. That was up to verse 19. When he wrote verse 19, he said, write the things that thou hast seen. And that's where he had the vision of, of Jesus, remember? He had the, with lampstands and all this. Write down those things you've seen, the things which are, and that was the churches. It's the seven churches which are, they really were. He wrote the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So when we get to chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Come up hither, and I will show these things which must be hereafter. So I know, in rightly dividing the book of Revelation, that from 4 on is the hereafter of the seven churches. Understanding that the seven churches are still in operation because it's already been spoken. So come up, let's see the things hereafter. Doesn't mean that the seven churches necessarily aren't no more. That's the reason some people argue, well, I'm the church goes through tribulation. But you have to make a distinction of those that believe in Christ and those that trust in Christ. There's a difference. There is a difference. And there again, that's the reason we need to be students of the Word. We study the Word and we make distinctions. Uh, in replacement theology, they say that the church has replaced uh, Israel. And what happens is, anytime you have a hermeneutic, we call it, that you, anytime that you stop making a distinction, you're going in error. Uh, just like today, we don't make a distinction in male and female. Is that an error? The distinction is truth. It's all it is. I make a distinction in night and day, black and white, up and down. There's a distinction, and distinction defines things. Doesn't replace things. God has created things as He's created them, and it's important for us to make distinctions on what He's created. Never compromise the distinctions. So God, so the Jews are God's chosen people. I have to make that distinction. Replacement theology today, which 60% of Christendom, not Christians, that Christendoms are in, is they say that the church has replaced Israel. What's the failure? You quit making a distinction. God said the Jews were his people. He doesn't have to change his mind. He meant it just like he said it. 
And that's the things about this book. You don't have to change anything. And if your theology has to change something, you're in error. You just need to back up. You got to fit it in another way. Because when you're in the way God wrote it, it's like putting a puzzle together and it'll all fit. You don't have to take a pair of scissors and cut off something to make it fit. And that's what happens when we do not make distinctions. Each verse is a distinct verse. God meant what He said, where He said it, and how He said it. Very important in these days not to break that hermeneutical law. Very important. So, he goes into things which are hereafter. So he says, Thou hast seen, chapter 1, things which are, chapter 2 and 3, things which shall be hereafter, chapter 6 through 19. There we start getting into the new heaven, uh, the new Jerusalem comes down. Now, John is not the first one in Scripture to do this. The prophets Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel were also privileged to look into heaven. It's not a bad idea. So we read the book of Revelation like, oh, here's John. Wow. And he, it had a big deal. He looked into heaven. Do I believe that there's people today that's looked into heaven? And the answer is yes. Uh, one that everybody knows. I believe Bob Jones has looked into heaven. I believe he's been there. Uh, yeah, that's a true statement because he's there now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. All right. The viewpoint of John throughout the rest of the book of Revelation is to be from heaven. So he's, got, he's in heaven. He's got a, a heavenly viewpoint here. And there is no time when John's viewing this. Now we'll get into that here in just a minute. Now I'm going to get into the word harpazo. And, and uh, I'm going to take just a little time here in verse 1 of uh, Revelation 4. This word was taken from the Greek verb harpazo, meaning to seize up, spoil, snatch away, or take to oneself, especially used of rapture in Acts uh, 8, Corinthians, Thessalonians. That word for being caught up or catching away or whatever, the Greek word is harpazo. I know people say all the time, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Uh, you see, the problem with that uh, uh, elementary understanding is because harpazo is through the whole book. So if you want to start eliminating a harpazo, you don't realize what you're really, you're, you're, uh, you've, you've got to make the distinctions and understand that harpazo of the church is not the only harpazo. All right. So, so you, so when people say, "Well, no, that's that doesn't mean that." Well, the problem is, okay, if that doesn't mean that, you're going to have to change all the other ones. Are, are you with me? So there's, there's a, uh, there's prophecy. I said to you, and there's prophecy. To, today, and I think I got a slide in here. I may be getting ahead of myself. But today, we think that prophecy is future telling, or predicting future. Bible prophecy or God prophecy follows an example. Let me show you that. I'm going to show you here in a minute the difference in Greek prophecy and Hebrew or Jewish prophecy, Hebrew prophecy. Let me let me get on here. I'll get it. So harpazo. 
John 14. Now, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am there, you will be also. Anybody like that one? Pretty good Bible verse right there. And let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. You've heard the Scripture. Uh, If it's not so, I told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Did anybody see that? So has he gone? Yes. So is he going to come again? So his leaving and go again has something to do with his house. It's part of it. It's not all of it. It's just, I want you to see it has something to do with the house. I go to prayer place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself. So he's going to come again and he's going to receive us unto him. That's a hard part, so is what it is, and you'll see it here in a minute. He's going to receive us to him. It's not that he's going to come and rule and reign on the earth to the people. That's different. Okay? There again, you've got to see the difference in the prophetic and prophecy. That's the reason as these guys are telling the future, just uh, me and my sister talked about it Saturday, had lunch, and I got, uh, I couldn't even communicate well because it so frustrates me. So we carried on a conversation. We left, and I thought, boy, I did a sorry job in that conversation, uh, even with my own sister, because it frustrates me so. And I'm not against the prophet. I'm just like, we got to get a biblical handle on what is prophecy. What, what is it? And I'm hoping to convey that a little bit and go with me here. So I want you to see that there's a father's house. Here's many mansions. He went away. He's coming back to receive us. There's a reception. So what Jesus here, that's what we would call an allu- He's alluding to something that's going to happen. Now, receive you unto myself and where I am, What? There you'll be. Where I am, you're going to be right there with me, he says. Just, just, just glory. If you, if you don't know any other Bible, memorize that verse. It's all you need to know. You got the whole book right there. You don't need any other Bible if you, unless you want to learn some more. Now, here, I mean, look how personal he gets in this verse. Uh, I would have told you a place for you. A place for you to receive you. Well, King James, and there's a ye, okay? Throw a little ye in there with it. And there ye may, or you will be there also. So this is a personal, this is a verse to individuals. It's what, this is not about a nation, it's about an individual person. Good. All right? If you were the only person, he'd wrote this one just for you. That's how personal, and so we start making distinctions between national prophecy and individual prophecy. Got to start, you have to make these decisions. The nation Israel has its national promises. We get in the New Testament, all this, we get into personal stuff, especially with Paul. Paul's, Paul's writings just gets down to the nitty gritty and your relationship with each other and with Christ and, wow. and, and all of that, you know. And this, this, this verse here is to you as an individual. So we start making those distinctions. Now, here's prophecy. Greek culture, it is a prediction and a fulfillment model, it's called. Uh, that's a Greek culture. It's a, a prediction 
and then you make a prediction, then it's fulfilled. That's the Greek model, which most of your New Testament, as we know, is written in Greek. But then we go to the what's called the Latin Vulgate to get a, a Jewish perspective. The Jewish model is prophecy as a pattern. That's the reason you can tell what's a true prophecy of the Spirit because it follow, follows a pattern in the book. Are you with me? It, it uh, you know, people were predicting Trump to be president, which it didn't happen. Right? It just didn't happen. But I, that's okay. I'll back up, Lord. Excuse me. I'm sorry. He always jerks my chain when I go there. One of these days he'll turn me loose, but he, he won't. He, so the Jewish modern model is as prophetic people. I want you to understand that you look at it as a pattern of God for prophecy. That's the reason I, it's so under, as, as prophetic people, we want to know the patterns of God or how does God think? How does God feel on issues? How does God think on issues? And so if we get caught in that groove, then we can be prophetic because we're following the pattern of God. We're not looking at the trend of society making predictions. That is the Greek model. Jewish model's pattern. I want to show you here. Harpazo is about the pattern of the Jewish wedding. And I've taught you that, the Jewish wedding, uh, how that is. So harpazo, that word that's used for the catching away, is the word that's used in the Jewish wedding as the pattern. So if I want to get more definition of harpazo, or rapture as is translated in English, if I want to get more definition, where do I go? I go to the Jewish wedding to get definition of the harpazo that's in Thessalonians. Good. Are you with me? The comparison is the pattern of this Jewish wedding. Now, in the Jewish wedding, you have a covenant that's established. You can write down the scriptures, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. You establish a covenant, right? A betrothal, right? You, you go through this process a year or so, or this long process, or this pattern. Uh, my sister uh, Susan is known. Listen to this. She has classes in Georgia for people who are living together. You can't get in her class, in one of her classes, unless you're living with each other. Why? Because it's what God's given her is the importance of the wedding, the importance of the marriage. Oh, That's so good. You know, and I think she's run about two-thirds percent getting married before the end of the class. That ain't bad, right? It's just people don't have the understanding uh, why it's important, you see. Well, well, the, well the marriage... Harpazo, people don't realize it, but this is all about the catching away in the church. You, you, we've heard it said time and time again that, that, it's, that the marriage is a type of Christ in the church. Yeah, it, yeah, big time. So you've got the covenant uh, establishment. Then you've got the purchase price, which is in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. So we know that Jesus went to the cross, right? And he purchased us. Then let's go to this next one. Then we got then the bride set apart in Ephesians 5:25. That's good. 
Y'all understand that? You got this time that the bride's set apart, right? Now, now something's happening while the bride's set apart. And I'm not going to reteach all this, but uh, then in 1 Corinthians, you're reminded you have this time when the bride's set apart in the Jewish ceremony, the bride is, is constantly reminded of this covenant that she has now went into with this guy she's going to marry. So they have this huge time of remembering uh, of what you're getting ready to walk into. Then what happens to the bridegroom? He left for the father's house. Duh. Jesus today has left for the father's house. That's where he is. What's he doing? Waiting on the time of the bride. The father's the one that says, go get her. The father's the only one knows about this Jewish ceremony when the, when the bridegroom's to go get his bride. Does everybody see it? You get in the spiritual picture? So if I want to get the definition of the rapture, I got to go to the Jewish wedding to get it. You see that? This is how we do the prophetic. Because God gives us these symbols and these illusions to bring the definition of the symbols. That's what it does. That's the reason that God's Word's important. To bring us these great revelations. And so you see, well, let me go on one more here. Now, then what happens? The bridegroom leaves, left uh, the father. He, he's escorted to accompany him upon his return together as bride in 1 Thessalonians. That's what we call the rapture of the church. So Jesus, the rapture is compared to the Jewish wedding to give us definition. And then the bride, they have this marriage ceremony in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You have this marriage supper. Can, now listen, to people who believe that you go through the tribulation, some people believe the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church, the same event at the end of the seven years tribulation. Now, can you imagine the, bride, the bridegroom saying, okay, to my bride... I'm going to come in seven years, but I'm going to beat the hell out of you for seven years, and then we're going to get married. That don't sound right to me. That's not in the Jewish ceremony. Are you with me? Was I too graphic? That's, that's what happens in Revelation. God's beating the hell out of the earth and the Jewish nation. Literally the hell out of them. Literally. So you've, there again, you've got to make distinctions to get proper interpretation of what's going on. So to believe that the rapture of the church is at the end of the tribulation, you're going to have to say that God had the Jewish ceremony incorrect because you're supposed to beat your bride for seven years and then marry him. Right? So I get in a short conversation with a lot of people who tell me, no, Alan, this is the same event. I'm like, I, I, say, I don't have time to, to go through all this. The Bible, you, you just, you, what, what do you do? You just say, no, I don't agree with you. So, but I, does everybody get what's going on there? Very, very important. Now, Jesus comes back twice, once for his bride and then again for Israel. You have to make that distinction. The church was a mystery or a secret. Mystery or secret. Nobody In a Jewish ceremony, the bridegroom didn't know when he went after the bride. 
The father of the bridegroom had to tell the bridegroom, you can now go get your bride. So that's so when Jesus says nobody knows the day or the hour, he's comparing it to that Jewish marriage ceremony. Now, here we go. Now, harpazo in 1 Thessalonians. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, uh, that you saw not even as those that which have no hope. What happened was Paul <coughs> taught them about all of this stuff and and it just so happens Paul was gone for a couple of years. Some few people died, and the people there got concerned about the people that died. And he said, "I don't be. I don't want you to be ignorant here concerning these which have uh, are asleep. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain." And to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Speaking about this return. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, together with them in the clouds. This rapture is Jesus comes in the clouds. It says we're going up to meet him, right? I read you that. In the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Didn't say on the earth in Jerusalem. That's where the second coming is, Mount of Olives, remember? To meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We're, we're going to catch him in the air and we're going to be with him. Somebody say amen. You've got to be louder amen than that. That's exciting. Yeah. To be with the Lord there, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another. That's comforting. It wouldn't be comforting if you told me you're going to beat me for seven years. That's not comforting. <laughs> it misses a whole Jewish wedding. Now, let's move on quickly. It says we're going to meet the Lord in the air. You see that? We're going to be called up. Now, watch this. The Greek word is harpazo. The Latin Vulgate word is rapimir. Rapimir is the proper tense of rapio. All right, now that's the Latin Vulgate. We're going back closer here, the Vulgate. Our English words for rap or rapture, which is the past participle of rapio. So therefore, people say that word's not in the Bible. Well, it's according to how far back you want to go, if you can read it. Yes, it is there. And so there it is. It's this word that's, that's called that. Rapture's in the Bible. Let me hit this quickly. Enoch was rapture, had raptures. There's the scripture. Elijah. Jesus. He had more than one. Philip. You remember that one in Acts. Paul. He, boy, did Paul. He, he raptured right on up there. And then the body of Christ in 1 Thessalonians. John, he was, we just read it, Revelation 4, 1, it says he was called up. That's a rapture. John was raptured before he was raptured. In other words, he was called up. So I want you to start making, we see a distinction in rapture. We also see the illusion of him being called up. And for us to be called up, now watch it. Revelation 12, 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations. And we know who this is. With a rod of iron, and her child was called up unto God and to His throne. Now we know that Jesus is there now, right? 
that's talking about it here in uh, Revelation 12.1. So this verse says that the man-child, or Jesus, it says, we, get, that we understand there, that He was called up. Same word. Same word. He was called up. Harpazos, to seize and to catch and to snatch away. Same word in Revelation 12. Now, the body of Christ, that's the same. Now, we're called the body of Christ. Everybody cool with that? All right, let me say it this way. A little different. We're called the body of Christ. So well, how is that different? The body of Christ. The body of Christ was called up in Revelation 12.5. That's an allusion of Scripture there. It was referring to, why does the Scripture call us the body of Christ? Because all of the allusions in the weddings, Him being called up, the transfiguration, all of that is alluding to the body. of. That's why He calls us the body of Christ. We're going to go through the same theatrics, if you will, that Christ went through. Now just praise God. So we see that the body of Christ is the same body as, as Christ. We're following His footsteps. It's called a spiritual illusion. First John said, now here's John. This is John, probably 90 AD. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doeth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now listen to me. It says there, He says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It doeth not yet appear what we shall be. I don't, it's not appearing yet what we're going to be. But we know that when He shall appear, now John's referring to the rapture of the church here, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. We shall be like Him. So when the rapture of the church takes place and He comes and we see Him at that twinkling of an eye, we're going to go meet Him, and it's in that process of us going to meet Him, we're going to get your new body. Because you're going to be like Him. People want to do away with this thing. I'm like, well, you're going to run around heaven naked. You're not going to get your new body. You've got to have this. Because when He appears, it's that us going to Him that the process supernaturally we're given this new body because we have to have this new body to see Him as He is. We don't fully see Him as He is right now. If we did, we'd be going bonkers. We don't fully see Him as He is. But there'll be a time... When we get our new bodies and this thing, this, this thing happens and we're called up like He was called up. And the transfer, when He was called up to heaven, last part of the book of Luke, He's called up. We're going to be called up the same way. We'll be called up just like Him. We shall be like Him. 2 Corinthians uh, 5 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Because somebody did say, praise God. Have you made any sense out of Revelation 4.1? <laughs> I'm, try I'm trying to get us there. It's important in this prophetic world that we're in that we understand that prophecy is a pattern of how God thinks. 
I'm not saying you can't prophetically speak to somebody. If you do, it must follow the pattern of how God thinks. And if you know His Word and you got it in your heart, when you prophesy, you're not prophesying M&Ms. You're prophesying the will of God because you know His patterns. That's how you know if your prophecies are from God. Let's stand. I'll pick up again here next week on the house. So, Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word, O oh God. I thank you for this opportunity, O oh God, you've given me to, to speak your word. And, Lord, if there's anything that I've said that's not of you, I ask and pray that it'll fall to the ground. I pray, O oh God, that everyone here will test what I say. They'll be like Bereans, it says in the Bible. They study the scriptures to see if those things were true. And Lord, if anything that I've said, if it's true, I ask and pray, it'll be quickened to our hearts. Not only will it be quickened to our hearts that we will trust in it, not only believe it, but trust in it with our lives, with our dependence, that we might find when your appearing comes, that we'll be right there with you. Be with us in the service as we worship you. We pray that today will be an unusual day. It'll be a new day. It'll not be like any other Sunday. We pray, oh God, because we're here and you're here and our desires are the same, we ask and pray that this day would be a day that you have made. And we promise we'll rejoice and be glad in it. And the house of God said, amen and amen.